0: Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. The sky was the limit for Matt Bush when the Padres made him a high school star as the number one draft pick in the 2004 MLB draft. He had one of the best arms I've ever scouted said the Padres scouting director, Bill Gaten. However, the right hand wouldn't make it to the big leagues until 2016 as he was plagued for 12 years with a drinking problem that eventually landed him in prison for three years. After his release from prison in 2016, uh, he made his way to the Rangers, and eventually, where he landed on my radar, uh, he was uh, just signed on to the Brewers as of August 1st uh, of this year, so just last week. And even though Bush did eventually make it to the major leagues for a while, for 12 years, he was only one of three first-round draft picks ever in the history of the MLB to, make, to not make it to the majors. And now I guess that they would say that his record is that he is, uh, it took him the longest of all number one draft picks to make it to the major leagues. And even now, there are many people that wonder, what could have been? Such extraordinary talent and potential, but such a waste. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 this morning, this is exactly the fate that Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to avoid as he writes to him now writes to them now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or th- think according to the power that works in us paul writes to the believers in ephesus that, that god has exercised his power for them in salvation but god wants to do something beyond that god wants to exercise his power in them And to not allow God's power to be exercised in and through them would be such a waste of opportunity. Matt Bush knew all about baseball, and he had the talent at his disposal to be something great. But because he struggled for so many years and refused to put his talent to work for him, he missed out on 12 years worth of opportunity. You know, in the same way it's possible for Christians to know a great deal about Scripture, to know a great deal about the Bible, and yet waste the opportunity that they've been given by not living out those truths. And up to this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul has given the fundamental truths about the gospel, the fundamental truths about their salvation and living out the Christian life. And he's made clear that God has exercised his great power for them. I laughed with Janie yesterday in that um, I had the opportunity to preach last month and the title of that sermon was God's power for the church. And it's also an appropriate uh, title for this morning that God's power would be in the church because that's exactly what Paul has been working up to. God has put his power on display for the church, but don't stop there because that's such a waste, Paul says. No, God just doesn't want to put his power on display for you. He wants to put his power on display in and through you. And Paul wants the believers in Ephesus to know, true, what is the hope of their calling? What is the riches of the glory of God's inheritance for them? And as he spent out the last two and a half chapters laying out the power of God's salvation for them, like any good pastor, he now wants them to experience God's power in Them. And that's where we are in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, where Paul both prays for them and encourages them that they would not waste their power and that they would not waste the potential that they have in Christ. And so, with that background, let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, where Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's plea to the believers in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21 is also a prayer to God that God would motivate these believers to respond to the power that they've been given through Christ. Specifically, Paul prays for the Holy Spirit to do a work in them that they would be rooted in love and filled with the fullness of God for God's glory. Paul's desire for them was that they would fulfill their potential, that they would not let the power available to them go to the waste. And so he prayed that they would take advantage of God's power, that they would recognize God as the source of that power, and that they would live out their life with purpose according to the power that's available to them. And so first of all, we see in this passage that Paul has expressed his prayer for power. And he says in verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you, gents, for you, whoops, I went back to verse 1. Uh, Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul says, I pray to God that you would not let go to waste the power that is available to you. And that power is, first of all, according to the riches of his glory. And I want us to notice two things about Paul's prayer that God would allow them to take advantage of the power according to the riches of his glory. First of all, I want us to notice that Paul does not pray that God would grant them power out of his riches, but according to his riches, according to the riches of his glory. And there is a major difference. For example, uh, Pastor Brandon expressed that our prayer for this year uh, is for God to reveal to us what the next stir- step for us in location would be. And so as we pray through that, um, we are asking that God would open some doors. Now let's imagine that these two doors over here on uh, my left, let's imagine that they were unlocked. Uh, we leave them locked for security reasons, as well as the fact that it's North Carolina and it's hot. And if everyone opened those doors, it would get real hot in here real quick. Uh, but let's imagine those were unlocked, and as we let out our service this morning, in walks Elon Musk. That would be a shock, but he walks on in, and he says, you know what? I was watching your live stream this morning, which would be more of a shock. <laughs> I was watching your live stream this morning, and I heard Pastor Brandon's plea uh, to the Lord for a building. He says, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a believer, but for some weird reason, You know, I felt that I should come in here and give you that $6.5 million. You know, that would be very gracious. And if, according to the magic of the internet and the will of the Lord, Elon, if you see this, (laughs) we will not reject $6.5 million. However, Elon is worth $265 billion if he gave us $6.5 million, he would be giving us out of his riches. It wouldn't make a dent for him. It would have huge meaning for us, Elon. So if, if somehow, right, the Lord providentially arranges that, it would mean a huge amount for us, but for him, eh, not really. Pocket change, which is unimaginable, isn't it? $6.5 million, pocket change for somebody that would be him giving out of his riches, but that is not what Paul was praying for the believers. He's praying that they would avail themselves to the power of God that is according to his riches. Here's what God is saying. He is saying, all of my riches are available to you. I'm not giving you part of my riches. I'm not sectioning it off. You know, here's all of my riches and here's Garth's portion. Here's TJ's portion and you know, some are smaller than other portions. No, he's saying to all believers, I have all the access of all of my wealth and according to everything that I have, that's what's available. Now that's a lot of power. He's giving us power according to the riches of his glory. And we've already seen in the book of Ephesians what that means. And we're not going to list out every reality, but we're going to, Reflect on some of the realities. We'll put the uh, passages of Scripture up on the screen. I'm not going to read them all for sake of time. If you'd like a list, uh, reach out to me later. I can send them on to you. But, but Paul has already laid out the foundation of what it means to be blessed according to the riches of His glory. He says in verse, or yeah, verse uh, or chapter three in verse chapter one and verse three, excuse me, chapter one in verse three of Ephesians that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. He says in verse 4 that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. He says in verse 7 that we have redemption and forgiveness. He says in verse 9 that he has revealed to us his will. He says in verse 11 that he has given us an inheritance with his son. He tells us, and I don't have this up on the screen, but he tells us that we have been brought from death to life. This is what you have been blessed with according to the riches of the glory of his grace. Peter tells us that this this inheritance, which he has provided to us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, is reserved in heaven for you. No one can touch it. God has given us not out of his riches, but according to his riches. So first of all, God has given us according to his riches. Second of all, want us to notice that Paul is not praying that God would give these riches to believers. He's not praying that. You might say, well, wait a minute, doesn't Paul want these believers to have this power? Yeah, he does. But he's not praying that God would give it to them. He's praying, God, you've already given it to them. And I pray that they would use it. That's what Paul's praying. He's praying according to the riches of his glory, which believers have already been given. That should not be a surprise because that's the case that Paul has been building ever since verse one of chapter one. God has already given us these riches. So Paul's not praying that God would give us these riches, but rather that believers would be strengthened according to the riches that they already have access to. So Paul says that they would be Uh, that they would take advantage of every opportunity which God has given them, that they would not let that potential go to waste. But rather, he says, according to the riches of the glory of his grace, that they would be, second of all, strengthened by his spirit. Now, surely uh, Paul was concerned about the physical well-being of believers, but that's not what Paul is praying for here. He is praying that they would be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. Uh, We know that Paul was concerned about about the circumstances of the outward man. We know this because according to Romans chapter 15 and verse 26, he writes, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul knows that there were people in Jerusalem who were struggling. Uh, because of all the persecution of the believers that was centered there. And he says, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that believers that are not in Jerusalem are contributing to those that have need in Jerusalem. We also see in Ephesians 4 and verse 28, he says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him work, laboring with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. You know, it's a good thing that we work. It's a good thing that we have so that we can give. Uh, Ephesians tells us that uh, we work so that we can have, so that we can give. We don't work to have to have, right? That's the philosophy of the world. We don't work to have to just grab onto it, to worship it as an idol, but we work so that we can have, and through God's blessing, uh, we give to those that have need. You know, the world would say, you know what? The world gets uh, anxious with, with people like Elon, who we were talking about earlier. Because they have so much. And I say, you know what? If God has blessed certain believers with wealth, I thank God for that. Because the church needs those kinds of people. (laughs) The church cannot function without those kinds of people. Those kinds of people recognize that God has blessed them and they have and they give and praise the Lord that God is using them for these things. But yet, that is not what Paul is praying for here. He is praying that they will be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. Paul was more concerned about the inner man because he knew that the outer man is destined to die. He tells the believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. And the apostle Paul had a lot to lose heart over. He had just written to the Corinthians and told them about all the things that he had endured. And he said, yet we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Why? Because the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, I praise the Lord that even though my physical body tends every day more towards death, and that's true for all of us, my inner man is being renewed day by day in the likeness of Christ. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit that you would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the goal. The goal is not to preserve our physical bodies. The goal is to change the inner man to be more and more like Christ. You know, being a youth pastor for years, and even before that, um, I taught middle school students. And I've had many, many conversations over the years uh, with teenagers who were struggling with some pretty serious things. And there would be times when they'd come in my office and they would tell me, Pastor Bryce, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with the other thing. I really don't want to. I, I want to honor Christ with my life. But it seems like no matter what I try, no matter what I do, I cannot escape fill in the blank. And the first question that I would always ask them was this I'd say, You know, you're telling me that you don't want to be enslaved to this sin. That's a good sign. <laughs> Because the Bible tells us that those that are without Christ actually love their sin. So it's a good thing that, that you hate this, that you don't want to be enslaved to it. But let me ask you this. How is your walk with the Lord doing? I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, they would hang their head and they would say, you know, I don't spend much time with them at all. And Paul was praying, you have all of the riches of God according to, To his wealth, which is infinite. And God has granted that power to you, and he has given you his spirit in order to allow you to make use of that power, that you would be strengthened in the inner man, and yet you are not engaging with the Lord. You're not pursuing a relationship with him. And I would tell those teenagers listen, it's no wonder you're struggling. Because you're trying to be better, and here's what the Bible tells us, you can't be. Christ can transform you to be, but you can't be. So many times I would see trying, teenagers tell me, you know what, I'm trying, right? And I was like, what, is that, what does that look like? Well, I just try harder. I'm like, well, how do you try harder, right? How do you try to train yourself harder? Well, you can't. How do we access this power that is available to us in the Spirit You submit to the Spirit and allow the Spirit of the Lord to do the changing in your life. What do those things look like? Well, they look like spending time with the Lord in His Word. They look like engaging with the body of Christ, which which God has given as a blessing to you for your spiritual growth. Uh, Those teenagers that would come to me and come in my office with these issues are often the ones that were unfortunately part of families that were not faithful in church. And that told me that they were probably not engaged with, with the Lord at home. It's like, no wonder you're struggling. You can't change yourself. But you need to submit to the will of the Lord for you, that he would change you. And when we do that, according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit can become part of our life, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. When we submit ourselves to the will of the Lord according to His great wealth and riches, we have access to the power that God uses in order to change our life. And God is doing this, number three, that we we would be indwelt by Christ. The purpose, and this is a purpose statement. He says in uh, starting in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees and I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of the glory of his, the riches of the of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that that introduces a, a statement of purpose. Here's the reason that Christ may indwell you that Christ would be in your heart. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, this seems backwards here. <laughs> wait a minute, does that mean that if I don't submit to the Holy Spirit as a believer, that I don't have Christ in my heart? No, that's not what it means. We know that at the moment of salvation, God sends us his spirit, we're by the spirit of Christ. But that's not what this statement is saying. In this statement, the word that Paul uses for Christ dwelling in your hearts is koyeo, which is really a compound word, which means two things. Koyeo means to dwell, and kata means to settle in. So here's what Paul is saying. I want you to take advantage of the great wealth and resources that God has given you, enabled through the Holy Spirit to transform the inner man that Christ would settle in and feel at home in your heart. You know, the pastor I worked for before I came down here, Pastor Ken, once told me, and it's something that I've thought about often because it's a huge resource in ministry. He told me that no matter what happens in ministry, no matter who you counsel that day, no matter what you face, give thanks to the grace of God that when you go home, you're going home to somebody who loves you. He's saying, one of the great graces of your life is that God has enabled you to marry a godly woman. Be thankful that when you go home, you can rest. He said, I've seen so many people fail in ministry because when they go home, they can't be at home. You know, I thank the Lord often uh, that I can go home and be at home, which is in contrast to a family that I worked with years ago, a husband and wife, And to the husband's credit, he stuck with it. But a husband and wife who, uh, the wife really would not let him be at home. (laughs) You know, I don't know everything that happened behind uh, closed doors in their home, but I do know this. I know that she came up to me one time and she said, you know what? I'm really sick of him because he's just a sad, pathetic, weak guy. And I thought to myself, you know, this guy, not a perfect guy, There were things that I was working with him on, not a perfect guy, but overall, he was not a mean, abrasive guy. He was a quiet guy, but I thought to myself, man, no wonder this guy's struggling. When he goes home, he can't be home. He's always uncomfortable no matter where he goes. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus comfortable in your heart and life? Paul says you have this great access to this great power that it would be enabled through the Spirit of God in order to change your inner man so that Christ could be at home in your life. Here's what Paul is saying. What Jesus really wants to do is that he wants to really just be in your heart and enjoy you. But it's possible to be a believer and Jesus is so busy trying to convict you of things and clean up your life because you're not submitting to the Spirit. You're not allowing God to change your life. That He's just always uncomfortable. And Paul says that would be such a wasted opportunity if Christ was never at home in your heart. He says, I want Christ to be at home in your heart. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that, here's another purpose, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ. He says that you would also be firmly established in love. That when you avail yourself to this great power that God has given you, allow his spirit to change you, and Christ really settles in and becomes part of your everyday life, that what happens in your life is that you experience the love of God, but not only that, you become so rooted and grounded and established in love that not only do you experience it, but it comes out of you. We see a great illustration of this in John chapter four and verse 14, where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well and he's explaining to her, you come to this well because you want to be satisfied. But the problem is, is that if you drink of this well, you'll thirst again. But I'm telling you, that you are seeking for something, you are seeking to be loved. We know this is especially true of this woman. Jesus later says, you know what? I know. I know what's going on in your life. You've had multiple husbands and the guy that you're now living with is not your husband. I know you want to be loved, Jesus says to her. I know that you are seeking for that, And you're dipping in the well of these men that you would be satisfied, but they will never satisfy you, he says. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But instead, he says, the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What Jesus tells her is that, listen, you're looking to be loved, and if you will just experience the love that I have to offer you, not only will you experience it, but you'll be so full of it, you've got to give it out to somebody else. And we see later on that that's exactly what she does. She goes back to her village and she says, listen, I've met this guy and you've got to come see him. That's exactly what happens in her life. Jesus later explains to his disciples in John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is a part of a Christian's life. You love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Jesus tells them in the last uh, few days before he goes to the cross in John 13 and 14, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another and this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if You have love. Because the love that Jesus has to offer is different than the love that the world has to offer. Worldly love is based on attraction. Not not maybe physical attraction, but attraction for some reason. Some kind of mutual benefit. Worldly love is based on attraction and mutual benefit and is therefore temporary. When the attraction is gone, when the mutual benefit is gone, so is the love. But what Paul is saying here is that when you are firmly established in the love that God has, this is part of God's very character, and it lasts forever. It is part of your life. It is part of the character of God. John tells us in his epistles that God is love. And when you have the power of God enabled through the Spirit, that God is at home in your life, that you're firmly established in love, you can then be filled with the fullness of God. It says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and here's the another purpose, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Does that sound familiar to uh, somebody else? Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God's intention for you is that these things would work in and through your life, that you would become just like Christ. Christ came and represented all the fullness of God. Do you know why? Got to go back to Genesis. (laughs) He came and he represented the fullness of God because God created us in his image in Genesis 1, 26. He created us in his image, but yet we chose to reject him, to reject his image, to walk away from his authority. Christ came and he represented the fullness of God wrapped in human flesh. Why? Because we totally failed to do it. And what Paul has been explaining for the last two and a half chapters is, is that Christ came and he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he expressed his power in going to the cross, taking your sin and shame, dying on the cross and raising from the dead. He did all of that expression of his power in order that the power of God may be established in your life in such a way that you accomplish the purpose that God made you for which, according to prosperity preachers, is not to be wealthy. (laughs) The riches in this passage is not that you would be wealthy, not that you would have billions of dollars, but that you would fulfill your purpose of expressing the image of God. That's your purpose. And when all of this happens, you become an accurate representation of who God is. you fulfill your purpose as a gospel witness in a lost and dying world. And so when the Holy Spirit has empowered you, and Christ has indwelt you, and love has mastered you, and God has filled you, then God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Let's look at verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So he tells us about this source of power. This power comes from God. And he says, I want you to be filled and mastered by God in such a way that God can work in your life. No, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Paul is not saying that God would work in your life. He's saying that God would work abundantly in your life. No, I'm sorry. I misspoke again. Paul is not saying that God would work in your life abundantly. He is saying that God would work in your life exceeding abundantly. Then more than abundantly, that you would look at abundance and abundance would be like pocket change but I'm sorry, I misspoke again. Paul is not saying that God would work in your life, not that he would work abundantly in your life, not that he would work exceedingly abundantly in your life, but he would work exceedingly abundantly above what you could ever even ask for. I'm sorry, I just can't get this right. Paul keeps adding to himself. God's not going to just work in your life, not just going to work abundantly, not just exceedingly abundantly, not just what you ask for, but what you could ever imagine. You ever thought to yourself, man, I wish I could just see 10 people come to the Lord. You know, I bet that if you asked for more than that, that God wouldn't be begrudging you. (laughs) Uh, Probably God would say only 10. God has the ability to do in your life more than you could speak of, more than you could ever imagine. And He's be able to do exceedingly above all of that. Jesus makes this observation in John chapter 14 and verse 12. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I, will, I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Now, is Jesus saying that we will do greater works than him going around healing people. Uh, No, not in that sense. But it does tell us the priorities of Jesus. Jesus went and he healed people and he multiplied food and he healed the blind and he did many wonderful things. But what Jesus is saying here is he is saying, you know what? The greatest of all these things is that when people see them and they recognize and they turn to me in faith, What is Jesus saying in John 14? He's saying that people would see the miracle of your life. And your life is a miracle. Remember, in Ephesians, Paul has already told us, you were dead and now you're not. When people ask the blind guy in John 9, who it is that healed you? He says, well, you know, I met this guy. (laughs) Who it is that healed you? And he says, I met this guy. How did he heal you? And he says, listen, here's all I know. I was blind, and now I'm not. That's the same testimony you have. Why do you live the way you live? And you you say, listen, all I know is that I met the truths of Jesus. I was dead, and now I'm not. That we would do the works of Jesus, which is to bear witness to the works that he has done we were dead and now we're not, that God would work in us and see many people come to faith. Jesus goes on to say that whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, in my speech and my preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. He says, you know what? People aren't coming to the Lord because I am a good speaker. Actually, many people accuse Paul of being a bad speaker. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to uh, certain churches, and it kind of becomes a recurring theme, (laughs) uh, he says, listen, I know that people are telling you that I'm not a great preacher. He says, but who cares? God has changed my life. I was a murderer, and now I'm not. That should say something. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, my preaching is not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. God changed my life. That's the most powerful preaching. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So God wants us to take advantage of the power he has given us, that God would be at home in our life, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God, that God would be able to work in and through us. And finally, he shares with us that purpose for the power. The purpose for the power, he tells in verse 21, is to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever that God would receive all the glory. This is very similar to chapter 1 all the way through up until this point, where Paul has been laying the foundation for this moment, and he has been saying, I want you to realize that God has demonstrated his power for you so that God would be glorified. And now he takes it a step further as he prays for them, and he says, listen, I not only want you to recognize that God's power for you is that God would be glorified, but God wants to work his power in you that God would be glorified. God wants his name to be great and he wants you to be a part of that mission. Now to him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. How do we get power like this? Well, we already have it. It's when we submit ourselves to the working of God in our life and we stop trying to do it on our own. How do you become better? Honestly, I can't become better. What do I do? Sit there and go, I just just really don't want to be angry tomorrow. all right, I've tried. Now tomorrow I'm going to be less angry. Do you think that ever works? No, something happens, my heart responds. Because I'm a sinful human being, I'm going to be angry. (laughs) I'm going to lash out. What do I do? I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I recognize there's nothing I can do to stop being angry. I submit myself to you Lord, use me to represent you. When we stop trying to be the answer and we allow God to be the answer, this power is already available to us. You know, when we get to heaven, I don't think that God will say to any of us, you know what, you trusted in me too much during your life. No, that's the complete opposite of the entire message of the Bible. The entire message of the Bible is is that man is dead in their trespasses and sins because from the beginning they did not trust God. And God has been reminding us throughout Scripture and through all the acts of history, rely on me. Stop relying on yourself. I am the answer. You are not. He's saying to us through his word this morning, my power is available to you and my power is available to work in you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And so by yielding to God, we not only see God's power for us, but we can also experience God's power working in and through us. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And by submitting to him, we can both be effective in our calling as well as fulfill, fulfill our purpose of bringing glory and honor to him.